thanks for joining us now for KBC Arts, arts and entertainment as well as the people and places providing it. I'm David Fleming. KBCR is approaching the end of the on-air portion of our fall membership campaign, and if you have not given yet, please don't let this campaign go by without you expressing your support. You can give anytime at kvcrnews.org slash support. Also, our toll-free number, always ready, 877-512-8843. 877-512-8843 or kvcrnews.org slash support. Now add to that, we still have, among many other thank you gifts, tickets to Trans-Siberian Orchestra in Ontario December 3rd. And once again, that ties in directly with this edition of KVC Arts. With the music of Trans-Siberian Orchestra and more, and conversation with music director, original member, and one of the guitarists, Al Petrelli. signs that we must embrace the moment is now in all history the time has arrived and this is the one place to be now Trans-Siberian Orchestra came directly from the group Sabotage specifically the CD Dead Winter Dead. It was a concept album based on the war and fighting in Bosnia with Paul O'Neill being the dominant writer or maybe we should say storyteller. Al, did Paul have any Bosnian roots or was he just more of a news junkie who had access to stellar musicians and mad storytelling skills? He was probably one of two of the most well-read men I've ever met in my life. My father being the other one. My dad was a political science professor and a world history teacher. And I remember as a kid being in his library at the house, and he'd have, you know, seven, eight, nine different books on JFK, on Churchill, on all these things. And, and I used to, you know, and I wasn't really interested at the time, you know, whatever. But I'd say, you know, why so many books on the same thing? And he said, well, I have to read eight different books on the same subject to find the commonality between all these different books. And that's where the truth can possibly live. You know, I'm not going to read one book and take that to heart. If I hear the same thing ten different times, and that starts to become a truth. And Paul reiterated that fact that he was so well-read. He knew so much about so many different things. He's such an incredibly intelligent man. And he wasn't necessarily a news junkie, but we'd be in the studio. Dude. He'd be reading seven different newspapers. <laughs> you know, he'd have the Times, the Daily News, the Newsday, the Wall Street Journal, U.S. News and World Report. I mean, just anything he could get his hands on. He was just thirsty for knowledge at all times. That's why his writing was so deep. I mean, you know, historically, you know, he was spot on with a lot of the things he depicted. Oh, incredibly so. And even because they probably know Christmas Eve Sarajevo, they may not be aware of Sabotage and Dead Winter Dead. And so this was your first album with Sabotage. So these were happening close to the same time. I think Dead Winter Dead, that's around 95, 96, which would be the same as TSO. How much of a time was there when you came in with Sabotage to where Paul said, hey, uh, Al, I got this thing that I want to try. Yeah, well, that was probably late winter, early spring, 95. He had the record that he'd been working on, obviously, Dead, Winter, Dead. And the previous guitar player had left to go pursue something else, so there was kind of a void. And he was auditioning a lot of different players and, you know, incredibly monstrous guitar players, you know. But again, going back to what we just talked about, he was looking for something very specific to the song. 
And when I walked and he put the faders up on what was to become 1224, mm. I think I've mentioned in the past, I kind of looked at him a little cockeyed. He's like, what's with the Christmas tune, dude? <laughs> and he laughed as he does with, you know, those piercing blue eyes and that big old smile, you know? Mm. And he explained to me, it's not really a Christmas song, but it's an underscoring for events that took place on Christmas Eve during the war in Bosnia. And now again, going back to what I said about my dad, who was a poli sci professor, I said, all right, you got my attention, go. And he started explaining to me the story, which was historically correct, about this classical cellist from that neighborhood who would go down to the town square and play pieces by the great composers in protest of the bombing raids. And when he said that, the hair on my arm stood up because I was Alice Cooper's musical director in the late 80s, and we played what was Belgrade and Zagreb before the war. And I said, dude, I was in that town square. I know exactly what you're talking about. I could smell it. Press record. And that was the moment where those couple opening notes... A gazillion guitar players could play those notes, but I heard them in my head as part of the soundtrack for what he was trying to explore. And he looked at me and goes, there it is. Wow. And we just kind of went on from there. And the next thing he did is he threw Mozart's 24th Symphony in my lap. He put the score there. He's like, can you play this? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was he recorded it in a different key, so I had a sight transposer. Oh. And then he goes, you, you can read? I'm like, yeah. He goes, okay. And that was it, man. You know, unspoken, we just, uh, we became the best of friends. He became my boss, my big brother. And anything that was in that big brain of his, anything that he and his wife were discussing musically, it's just like, bring it. I got you. Again, going back to genre-specific part playing, writing songs within songs, coming up with hooks and parts that accentuate the story, not get in the way of it. Right. No life so short it can't turn around. Can't spend your life living underground For from above you don't hear a sound And I'm out here waiting I don't understand what you want me to be It's the dark Before I leave Sabotage and specifically Dead Winter Dead, I just have to say that a friend of mine happened to... He lost his mother the year that Dead Winter Dead came out, and he has said, absolutely, and he said that I love and always will love Al Petrelli for an album that was everything to me in the darkest moment of my life. He's not alone in that, but he's undeniably on the short list. So that's that and that album and no, you. Well, tell him I said thank you so much. That means everything to me. No, count on it. And his brother, by the way, he was a stellar musician, a guitarist himself. You being on Dead Winter Dead, that's the only reason this guy even started paying attention to Sabotage. He already knew you from Alice Cooper, maybe Danger Danger, Widowmaker, something like that, you know. Well, listen, but let me just interject this thought, though. You Please. know, again, Please. I had been playing guitar. I didn't necessarily change the way that I played guitar. I, mm -hmm. I got a little more focused in my direction solely due to Paul. I remember there was a song, maybe it was Not What You See or This Is The Time, which is one of the first real guitar solos I played. And, you know, I kind of dug into my Gary Moore, Jeff Beck, Neil Sean bag of tricks. Mm. And I hit a couple notes, and Paul will go, I love that approach, I love that theme, let's fix it. And I look at him and go, huh? What do you mean fix it? That was pretty good. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, what would normally take me an hour to do a solo, or, or five minutes, or six hours, whatever, you know, we would go in for days, and he would pay attention to, like, certain subtleties and nuances that I didn't even hear. 
and he brought my playing to a whole different level and a whole different focus. That's incredible. Not what you see if folks just hear that by title alone. I think that's the closing track to mm -hmm. Dead Winter Dead. A uh, very powerful piece of music. Oh my God, yeah. And here in this labyrinth of lost mysteries I close my eyes on this Since TSO started with a panel truck and is now 20 semis and a couple of buses, mm -hmm. it's logistically impossible to keep up the schedule that folks will see at trans-siberian.com. So that said, if you could, maybe you're just spilling the beans and maybe killing a fantasy, but please talk about the fact that if you see the band and say, well, Ontario, December 3rd, the band is also playing in Dayton, Ohio, December 3rd. Please address <laughs> this East and West thing. Star Trek style transporters, beat me up, beat me out. <laughs> Quantum shift, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, total, dude. Well, listen, let's go back to the 99 tour, what you just said. You know, it was a 24-foot box truck and a pair of buses and a fog machine, you know. <laughs> that was it. And it was awesome. You know, the Tower, the Beacon, the Orpheum, the Fox, like all these great theaters, you know. Like, man, we sold a couple million records and we sold out all these theaters. And, you know, God, this is like so great, Paulie. Thank you so much for everything. He goes, yeah, well... Now they want shows in Seattle, San Antonio, Ontario, Phoenix. I'm like, huh? <laughs> I said, how are we going to get there? He's like, aha. <laughs> and again, unprecedented. So what do you do? You take one of the MDs at the time, Bob Kinkle, and he was in charge of what was called the East Coast Band, which was primarily the 13 colonies. And he looked at me and he goes, you take them everywhere else. Okay. So what do you do? You cut one band into two, and you got to call up everybody that you know. Hey, you sing, right? Okay, cool. Can you be here? You know, I know a good bass player. I know a violin player. I know this, whatever. Wow. And you call your friends in, and it just grew organically from nothing. Never before has anybody had narration and poetry being read with underscoring during a rock concert, you know. And then who cuts a band into two and covers twice the amount of territory? Because you got a finite window. You have that time constraint of the holiday season. And then, you know, you can't get any more real estate, so what was next? Well, got to do two shows a day. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> you want me to do a full-blown rock concert at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? Now I couldn't imagine not doing that. 
Well, that's what we're going to get in Ontario soon. And that's just great, of course, because some folks are busy during the day, not at the evening, or the other way around. So well, that's something first, really sure. yeah, that's cool that you guys do. You know, they got plans for Saturday night or Sunday, or, you know, whatever. It's the holiday sandwich coming over. Hey, let's go out and see the show in the afternoon. It became the most unprecedented thing ever. And again, it's so you know important and poignant, you know, Ontario. Because, you know, as a kid, and you and I have talked about this before, the most famous, biggest, over-the-top thing that we all read about was Cal Jam. Oh, yeah. What was it, 300,000 people on that raceway? Yeah, I guess until TSO played Berlin, and, you know... <laughs> then, exactly. Yeah, wow. Yeah, but talk about being influenced by your heroes. I mean, you know, Aerosmith, Ted Nugent, Frank Marino, Mahogany Rush, Hart... Mm-hmm. I think Styx did one of those, ELP did one of them, Earth, Wind & Fire did one of them. You know, now think about the diversity on stage, diversity off stage, and the amount of people that kind of migrated to see that. Not that far away from the TSO idea. You'd have to go to the, and think of Bill Graham and what he would try to do with that mm-hmm. kind of diverse sort of thing. So you mentioned Omaha, and so I'm wondering if Omaha in late September, if this just becomes like the Modern Language Association, where you have anywhere from five to 11,000 people descending upon a town, so, in essence, do you have both bands learning what's happening this year at the same time, and then you split up, or...? Yes. Yeah? Yes, exactly. So, both bands, both crews, both everybody. Oh, my God. Both sets of truck drivers, both sets of bus drivers, both catering crews, <laughs> you know, everybody hits Omaha. There's probably about 300 people that roll into town. And the Mid-America Center, which is just just over the river from Omaha in Council Bluffs, Iowa, is one of the few buildings, for whatever the reason, that can accommodate both bands hanging both sets of productions at opposite ends of the arena simultaneously. Uh 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 So, listen, we used to rehearse at SIR over on, what was it, 52nd Street or 25th Street, you know, depending on which one was available, in like, you know, little rooms, and then we'd show up at a theater and play. Well, as the production got bigger and the band got bigger and the requirements were bigger, we needed a bigger place to put this together. And again, the Mid-America Center is large enough to accommodate both bands, and we kind of go day on, day off. So I'll have a day on the main stage with full production, and the next day I'll go back into one of the locker rooms and we'll do like little microscope rehearsing, fixing like little nickel-dime parts I wasn't happy with. Mm. And the other band will go on into the main stage when I'm in the locker room rehearsal, and we leapfrog for 30 days. And then the other part of it was, well, you're kind of in the middle of the country. So, okay, what's the next show? Well, you're not painted into a corner. Like, we used to also rehearse down at the Lakeland Civic Center in Florida. And it's kind of hard to get the Green Bay from Lakeland to the next (laughs) show. So, you know, we we want, it's like the center of the bicycle spokes, you know. Okay, we can kind of go anywhere we need to from here. Okay. At first, I thought there were errors in people's schedules. I completely, up until a few weeks ago, forgot about the fact that it was indeed two bands touring we, by the way, as you know, this is an NPR station, and so I'm just going to break for a bit and ask, are you a public radio listener and, I hope, supporter? Always. Always. I mean, ever since I was a kid, you know, we only had, what was it, like, Channel 2, 4, 5, 7, 9, and 11 with the main networks, right? Yep. And Channel 13 was always public broadcasting. Yep. Always. And that, that was such a big part of my life, getting involved with Hallmark, doing a lot of their specials all that. I mean, the arts are so important, and sometimes you'll only find them there. So yeah, myself, the O'Neills, and the entire organization have always been big supporters of that. Fantastic. Some things like Trans-Siberian Orchestra, you can find almost only through public broadcasting. We thank you so much for your support, Al, and to our listeners, of course, during our fall membership campaign. 
I'm David Fleming in conversation with Al Petrelli, music director for and one of the guitarists with Trans-Siberian Orchestra, touring live again this year. Tickets for their two performances, December 3rd at the Toyota Arena in Ontario, are available at kvcrnews.org as one of the thank you gifts we have to offer during our fall membership campaign. You can also call, rather than going online, 877-512-8843. Again, 877-512-8843, or once again, kvcrnews.org, and just click the red Donate button near the top. Back with Al Petrelli and Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and more as KVC Arts continues. You're listening to KVC Arts on 91.9 KVCR, streaming at kvcrnews.org. I'm David Fleming. Many past shows can be found through iTunes, Spotify, NPR One, and Google Podcasts. And most past shows are at kvcrnews.org arts. Trans-Siberian Orchestra will be at the Toyota Arena December 3rd in Ontario, with tickets available at kvcrnews.org support as a thank you gift during our fall membership campaign kvcrnews.org slash support or call 877-512-8843. Again, 877-512-8843 or kvcrnews.org slash support. This edition of KVC Arts has me once again in conversation with Al Petrelli, music director for and one of the guitarists with Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Now, Al, we're quite fortunate to have TSO come to the region each year, and it's usually a Christmas-themed show. Any of the non-Christmas albums ever get toured? Like Beethoven's Last Night? Pretty, please? Oh, God, yeah. We did that for years. I'm going to say, don't hold me to the year, but I think 2008, 2009 is when we first started touring for that. And we would do the spring in America. We would take it over to Europe and do the spring and the summer. You want to talk about an intimidating situation. You try playing Beethoven on the evening of the celebration of his birthday in Vienna. Oh, no. Oh, whoa, whoa. Oh, no. my. Oh. <laughs> you want to talk about one of those moments where it's just like, oh, feet don't fail me now. That'd be like being the drummer for Jeff Percaro. I mean, you know, it's mm-hmm. just not. <laughs> oh. Yeah. No. But it went over. They were so receptive, and they loved it so much, and we were so grateful because they're some of the most discerning listeners ever. You know, you go back to that brother's birthplace, or playing in, you know, in Salzburg Orchestra doing a Mozart symphony with a rock band. It's like, this can go one of two ways, kids. So let's make sure we play it the best we can, and they loved it. Excellent. So yeah, we all the other records we have gone out and supported in one way, shape, or form. Obviously, we haven't done it in the past five years or so. We've had our hands full with the holiday season here in America, and you know, since Paul passed, going overseas really just hasn't been on the tip of our tongues. We've been still trying to, you know, recover from that. You know, and I mean, I can only imagine his wife and his daughter. You know, they'll never get over that loss. But the last time we hit Europe, I thought it was the Vakken Festival back in '15. Wow. I think there was actually also a sabotage performance there as well. So you were playing double duty. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Okay. It was awesome. It was basically just, you know, like, like historically showing the origins, you know, the relationship between the two situations. And sabotage was on one stage. We were on the adjacent stage playing at the same time. It was definitely the most over-the-top crazy thing I'd ever done. Again, the mind of Paul O'Neill. Yep. There we go. All these... Incredible stories coming forward. I mean, you know, it's another time I'll be talking to you, I hope, about Letters from the Labyrinth and some of the other albums.
Okay, I guess on this last few minutes here, each time we speak, you know, as I mentioned, the majority is TSO. And as far as the other stuff, I've always just gone to the stuff that other people will recognize. Megadeth, Alice Cooper, Michael Bolton, uh, <laughs> Philip Michael Thomas. Mm-hmm. But so now, <laughs> if we could, please, I'm going to ask about O'Toole, also the Randy Coven band, because this is really the stuff that's truly up my alley, this funk jazz fusion. talk about how O'Toole came about. I mean, this is a TSO connection as well, but not only what that was, but how it even happened. Well, Jay Mangini, who has been with TSO since 2001, just an absolutely incredible piano player, primarily self-taught, comes from the Billy Powell, Chuck Lavelle, Ray Charles, Dr. John School of Stride Blues piano player, you know, and one of the best at it. That woman is incredible. I met her I was divorced from my first marriage. I was kind of kicking around New York City, and I got asked to play on a jingle, a TV commercial. And Jane was the composer on it. And we met and just kind of really developed a really nice friendship from the jump, you know. And we started seeing each other, started dating, got married. And I'd watch her compose these pieces of music, you know, 30-second spots on TV. And she was just, she would do it, like, on command. Just, like, kind of open her eyes in the morning, sit at the piano, and boom, and play something. And it was on national TV a, a couple days later. Like, an incredible composer. And I would hear a lot of stuff that she'd been playing that didn't make TV commercials. I'm like, that's a really beautiful piece of music. Well, you know, this is cool. And she'd have me playing guitar on it. And whatever, you know, brought it to life. And I had a buddy of mine, his name is Mark Wexler, who was partners with Lee Rittenauer at a mm. record label called IE over at Polygram at the time. And I knew Mark, he used to manage Joel and Turner. And I called Mark up one day and I said, listen, I got some music I want you to hear. I'm not going to tell you who it is, what it is, because I don't want you to kind of have a preconceived idea of anything. I'm just going to send you at the time that you know, I'm going to FedEx you to the CD. And he listened to it. He goes, dude, this stuff is serious. Who is it? I said, you know, it's my girlfriend. There's still, I guess we weren't married at the time, whatever. It's Jane. He goes, you're kidding. I said, no. And he goes, I need to hear more of this stuff. So, you know, we had to sit down and she played the piano. And he goes, all right, well, I'm going to get you a record deal. And I want you to put a collection of music together. Jane was thrilled because, like, you know, as a composer, these songs are almost like her children. And now she's got kind of a platform for them to be heard. And it was just the first album made a lot of noise and got a lot of critical acclaim. Uh, Didn't sell that many, but she was just thrilled to death with putting her music out. And, you know, she had a face on the cover of a CD. It was awesome. And Mark said, listen, I want to do another record. And I said, all right, and I said, and, you know, this was smooth jazz radio at the time was definitely crushing. It was all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I told her, I said, I got this idea I want us to cover, and it's going to be Riders on the Storm, the old Doors song. And she goes, I don't want to play that song. I'm like, shh, what? Trust me. Yeah, yeah. She says, I'm not playing that. I'm like, yeah, we are. And I said, I hear it in my head. Trust me. And, of course, like, you know, she said, okay. And she came up with an incredible arrangement. 
it got into the hands of the trumpet player Chris Body, who was I don't know if he was a program director or the DJ over whatever it was, mm-hmm. and he spun it and it charted like I think top twenty in the smooth jazz charts. Oh, good God! And that's when we started getting the tour, and you know we got a bus, we started playing. Here we are playing theaters again, you know, and playing like Jane's music, and it was myself and Jane, Johnny Lee Middleton, the bass player with TSO, and John O'Reilly, who was the drummer with TSO at the time. It was the off season. Paul thought it was the coolest thing ever. He's like, look at you guys, you know, we're just doing completely <laughs> different music. But again, digging into everything else that we wanted to play. And it was so incredible. It was such a fun run for a while. And then, of course, like, you know, that this too shall end. And that was the end of it. But it was a wonderful time. That's a whole other story, dude. I met Randy, who was a local legend on Long Island, who went away to Berkeley College and was in a band with Steve I up in Berkeley. And Randy came out of Berkeley, and he was doing things on the bass guitar that I had never really heard before. You know, very Jaco Pistorius influenced, mm. but you know, very Steve I influenced as well. You know, and again, an incredible composer, incredible musician. So, you know, he had asked me, you know, hey, would you play like a song on this or play a solo on that? And I'm like, yeah. And again, John O'Reilly was the drummer, which is how I met John. And he did a couple solo records. And then when I left to go play with Alice Cooper, I had come back and his record company said, well, let's do another record. But instead of calling it Randy Coven, it's called CPR, which was Coven, ah. Petrelli, and O'Reilly. There it is. And, you know, we kind of banged heads together and came up with some pretty cool songs. I hadn't listened to that stuff in, God, 30-something years. Mm. Somebody played me a track the other day. I was like, I forgot how really good that was. Oh, it's incredible. And I hope to do a deep track interview with some of this non-TSO stuff someday. I just have to say thank you. I greatly appreciate your time in these conversations. I will be there in Ontario, hoping... Awesome. You'll be back for meet and greets and a quick in-person hello. I hope so, dude. Listen, with any luck, you know, COVID will kind of ease up and give us an opportunity to kind of like, you know, shake hands and hug. Yeah. And anytime you want to talk about anything, I love our time together. I enjoy the conversation. and it takes me down memory lane. You, you know, you bring up a lot of things that I haven't even thought about in years. And it's a lot of fun to kind of reflect on those things. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh, fantastic. Enjoy it, Al. Thank you so much. And we'll see you soon. Respect and love, my friend. Thank you. I've been speaking with Trans-Siberian Orchestra's Al Petrelli. Again, a conversation I look forward to every year. And this year, Trans-Siberian Orchestra is touring the Ghosts of Christmas Eve with afternoon and evening performances December 3rd at the Toyota Arena in Ontario. On this edition of the program, we heard music from O'Toole, the Randy Coven Band, and or CPR, and of course music from Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And again, just a bit once again from Sabotage, specifically the Dead Winter Dead CD, so once again, thank you, Devin Perkins. A reminder also that KVCR is close to wrapping up our fall membership campaign, and we have tickets to Trans-Siberian Orchestra's thank you gifts at a couple of giving levels. More at kvcrnews.org slash support or by phone at 877-512-8843. 
Again, 877-512-8843 or kvcrnews.org slash support. It's because of listener support that we're able to provide the type of programming that you can find only in the world of public radio. Thanks again to Al Petrelli and to Alan Rommelfanger with Daybreak Entertainment for setting this up year after year. Here at KVCR, thanks to Lillian Vasquez, Rick Dulock, Paulina Garcia, and Sharina Awad. Many past shows can be found through iTunes, Spotify, NPR One, and Google Podcasts. And most past shows are at kvcrnews.org slash arts. Where you learn something new every day, you're with 91.9 KVCR San Bernardino Riverside, online and on mobile devices, streaming live at kvcrnews.org. And David Fleming, thanks especially to you for listening and for your support.